We're going to start out talking to Ann, and then it's going to be Borden and Lonnie. Uh, first thing, though, let's talk for a minute about Wild Birds Unlimited, one of those great places to go out and shop for Dad. And you say, well, my dad's not a birder. Well, let me tell you what, there are plenty of other fun things out there. Every dad out there, well, most every dad out there, might enjoy some new optics, pair of binoculars, things like that. You don't have to be watching the birds. You can be watching wildlife of any sort, two-legged or four-legged. It just makes it more fun when you travel. I mean, you get some of those little compact binoculars. You head out for one of the parks or better still one of the national parks. You see a glimpse of movement up on the hillside. You think, I wonder what that is. Well, had a good pair of those Wild Birds Unlimited binoculars. You could look up, and as was the case in a trip I made recently, see an albino mountain sheep headed up the side of the mountain, or maybe a big bunch of deer moving down. I don't know. That's just one suggestion for dads. And Wild Birds Unlimited has so many items at such reasonable prices. And uh, let's see, this would be through Monday. Uh, you can get 15% off any one non-food uh, food item over at Wild Birds Unlimited. Of course, if Dad's a birder, they've got so many different feeders and pole systems, not to mention quality seed. Wild Birds Unlimited is a great place to shop just about every day of the year. They're open seven days a week, except for major holidays. Right out there on Hebner Road at Northwest Military, the shopping center there. They're in the little section that faces Northwest Military. Really easy to find, and you're just not going to find anybody that knows more about birds than they do over at Wild Birds Unlimited. Get over and see them anytime, but today would be a great day to take advantage of that uh, 15% off and uh, maybe pick up something really neat for Dad. That's Wild Birds Unlimited. Have a question? Give them a call. 279, I'm sorry, 479 Bird. Really easy to remember. B I R D. All right, let's just uh, quit talking and <laughs> quit talking to yourself and uh, and start talking to the people that were kind enough to call in early this morning. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Bob. I'm sorry I bugged you earlier. <laughs> oh, you are not bugging me in any way, form, passion. Believe me, when I'm in here making the necessary adjustments and uh, watching Don do all his things in there to make all the equipment work. It sure does please me to see that phone ring. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy to accommodate. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, I heard or read, I'm not sure which, um, but it was local information, maybe in the paper, okay. about um, the, uh, they were talking about chestnut trees. Mm-hmm. And um, I've really enjoyed chestnuts in my life, but not nearly this far south. Well, and, What do you think about that? I think we're too far south for chestnut trees. (laughs) I've seen it attempted many times, and I have yet to see it. My old buddy Alton Grimm, all those years ago, Alton taught me, he said, if you don't see a bunch of them around, it's probably because they don't grow here. And I couldn't begin to tell you what it was we were talking about, but I, I that thought goes through my mind. Everybody tells me about this wonderful plant they've seen about, they've read about, they've gotten that coupon in the mail, the you know, send off and get, and uh, I'm all for experimenting. Believe me, uh, I'm all for uh, uh, trialing things. Uh, some of the people that I do business with have trial gardens uh, that will cover acres, and there's not much more fun. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go up to Dallas for the day in a couple of weeks uh, just for the big field trials that they hold up at uh, their botanical garden there, and then open up to the uh, to the professional world for a day with programs about what worked out and what didn't work out. I'm all for experimenting, but if somebody else has tried it and failed it, we don't have to we don't have to fail just like they did. Um, and there's nothing new in the chestnut world that I'm aware of. There're not any new varieties, there's not been any 
uh, breeding to try to make them more heat tolerant and less cold needing. So if somebody had come through with a breakthrough tree, um, yeah, I'd say let's play, let's try one. I uh, did the same thing when everybody started saying that they, you know, had big fruited sweet cherries that would tolerate the heat. Man, I planted one, died within six months, and I said, okay, lesson learned. <laughs> but uh, long story about one tree. I would rate your chances of doing well with a chestnut tree in uh, this part of Texas uh, somewhere between slim and none. Okay, darn it. <laughs> I hope that I had hoped that that would be a new breed of some type. That well, keeps you know, ears open. <laughs> it, I, you know, and that that is the fun thing about the plant business. It it is not a static business. People think, oh, you do the same thing day after day. No, you don't. When I look at the new varieties, when I have the pleasure of going, to, for instance, to the Far West Trade Show we normally do up in Portland, I see new varieties come out that are fantastic, some of which I know won't grow here. We don't even try it. But mm-hmm. some of them, like some of the new Vincas, some of the new Artemisias, I come back and I tell my growers, hey, I want to see Tattoo Vincas on the shelf this year. And voila, we've got an incredibly beautiful new Vinca out there. And uh, so there, there, it's it's not static by any means. There are new things coming out all the time. And uh, some of us have to jump in the first year and find out whether or not they grow. Some of us, you know, visit the trials and see how they did for everybody else before we start putting a lot of money into them. But there's a lot of fun new stuff out there. And I'm looking at it every day. And it's one of the things that makes me look forward to getting up and going to work <laughs> well your passion always comes through thank yes, you so much way life should be well it's always a pleasure anything else i can help you with this morning not a thing Just save that money things. and go buy yourself some chestnuts to roast or whatever <laughs> else you can do with them there are some chestnut like things there is a uh, there's actually a water plant that produces an underground tuber that people use as a chestnut substitute but uh you know, it's um, it's like a lot of other things. It's just not like the real thing. But for the money that is wasted in this country on trying to get things that won't grow here, you could buy that ticket to where they grow and go off and have a nice vacation. Enjoy <laughs> all you like. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too, Anne. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Borden is up next. Good morning, Borden. Uh, this is Gordon. How you Gordon. Doing? I thought that would make a little bit more sense. I'm doing well. How about you? All right, buddy. Uh, I'm gonna stay on the tree subject here this morning. Okay. I love planting, I love planting trees. Uh, three, four years ago, I planted uh, three uh, desirable pecan trees. Uh, I guess they were desirable. Mm-hmm. Down there, off of 71 at a pecan place down there in Bastrop. But uh-huh. anyway, uh, they got to be about uh, oh uh, four or five foot tall, three four inches trunk diameter. Last year, uh, in the summer, I had to go leave for an extended period of time, so I, I put a gator gator bag around them, mm-hmm. and and they lost all their leaves except for one. Uh, this year, I've been gone since February till last week. Came back in two of those trees, no leaves on them. Uh, seemed like a doornail, but I do have some growth coming out at the bottom. Now, okay. Gordon, let me do this just a second. Let me punch one button here and clear up a little static problem here. I'll be right back with you. Hang on just one second. I'm going to push that. I'm going to push that, that, and now I bet we, yeah, we got a lot less background noise there. 
Um, so you've got some graph, you've got a little bit of growth at the bottom. The three that have come out, are they coming out further up on the tree? No, 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 no. Uh, what I'm saying is there's not a lick of leaves or, or branches that have any leaves on them. Like I said, they're about four or five foot tall. Uh-huh. And, and the only growth on them right now, they lost all their leaves, I guess, from the high temps last year. Okay. Uh, and the only growth I have on them is coming out from the bottom of coming out of the ground by the bottom of the trunk which of course uh, is is the rootstock it's not desirable that's your whatever native pecan or whatever they grafted onto so that's probably not going to be a nice paper shell pecan have you scratched have you scratched the bark is there any green at all in the bark uh i have not but uh, i i felt of it yesterday and they just kind of wanted to almost like what i wanted to break i didn't want to break it mm-hmm. but uh so that growth you're saying wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be a new tree. Well, it'll make a new tree, but it won't be what you purchased. Um, when you buy a desirable pecan, when you buy a Mister Lincoln Rose, when you buy a uh, Myers Lemon, um, most all of these plants have been grafted onto one sort of rootstock or another to make them more vigorous, to make them resistant to disease. Uh, there are lots of reasons that rootstocks are used. And always the rootstock is much hardier than the graft. That's why they're grafting it onto something that's a little bit stronger than the tree would be on its own roots. And so when we get into a stressful situation, whether it's drought, whether it's uh, cold, whether it's, um, gosh, uh, so many different things, and the top of the tree suffers and perhaps dies out, the rootstock remains alive, and then when the conditions are right, it starts to sprout out and grow. And that's why, you know, I get, gosh, I can't tell you how many calls I've had this spring about, hey, my Myers lemon suddenly has giant thorns and the fruit doesn't taste any good. And I have to tell people, well, that's because it's not a Myers lemon anymore. That's the sour orange rootstock that sprouted out. And in your case, you're just looking at pecan rootstock. Now, you have you have two choices here. One is simply to replace the tree with your desirable variety, whether it is the variety called desirable or Choctaw or, you know, whichever one you want, and move on. The other thing that you can do, because these trees obviously have something of a root system, you can cut away all except one of the, you know, shoots that are coming out from the base, and you can encourage that to grow up and make a, you know, a single trunk, what we call a central leader, and somewhere a year or two down the road, you can regraft that. I have to tell you, you're probably going to spend more money doing that than you would be to simply plant a new tree, but... On the other hand, you're not going to find a new tree to plant till January. Um, the one other thing I would like you to try, Gordon, is go out and scratch the bark. And if you find green bark, here's what I want you to do. Uh, number one, take every speck of green off the base of the tree. Take your pruning shears and cut uh, between a third and a half off the top of the tree and then start spraying that trunk daily or even two, three times a day, spraying that trunk, just showering it with water as frequently as possible. And by cutting it back, we do this all the time on weak plants, uh, many times that they don't have the strength to sprout and grow, cutting it back concentrates that hormone that causes the bud break, that causes the 
formation of leaves and things, and if there's any life left in that trunk at all, then it will sprout out. It will be the desirable that comes out, and we can see what happens. Okay, well, I appreciate that. And one other uh, uh, tree question, Uh, you're talking about experimenting. Uh, The wife bought me uh, from a travel center uh, that a lot of people frequent around here, uh, redwood and sequoia, giant sequoia uh, uh, seeds. Now, do you reckon they they would grow down in uh, Gonzales County? Um, how many of them do you see growing down there? <laughs> uh, you you know there are some things. Uh, Dawn redwood is a related tree. It's something we call a metasequoia that will actually grow. But the beautiful things you see in Muir Woods. Um, again, if we're that easy, there'd be a grove of them on every town square in South Texas, and I haven't seen one yet. More of a novelty item. Absolutely. A good excuse to, uh, buy that summer place somewhere on the, on the coast of Oregon, and then you can go plant your seeds up there and really get some good out of them. Who's got the best pecan, uh, who's the best growers of pecan trees in Texas? Um, your, your best source of trees, uh, probably going to be Fanix. Um, people with a lot of experience over in Seguin or Papes, or as it should be pronounced, Pape, but nobody pronounces it that way, pronounces it that way. But Fanix is going to have your best pecan trees out there, but selection is not going to be very good till next January. Okay, Bob. Well, I appreciate you, uh, just appreciate you, and uh, God bless the United States of America, and uh, y'all have a good day. Thank and you. you have a happy Father's Day tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. <laughs> Bye. All right, uh, Lonnie's up next. Good morning, Lonnie. Uh, good morning, Bob. Morning. <clears throat> um, well, two questions, if I may. Certainly. The first one has to do with this, well, <laughs> weed, let's say I picked up. Um, it, it resembles uh, the pride of Barbados. Okay. It has opposing thin little leaves, about 20 of them per uh, branch. Mm-hmm. And it, I see this produced a little seed pod. Uh, does that ring the bells with you? What does the flower look like? Uh, it's a round, kind of a, just a fluff ball, I want to call it. Okay, is it pink? No, it's white. It's white. And is this a low-growing, shrubby little plant? Yes. And uh, plenty of little thorns on it? It, can't, it. Well, I don't really see any thorns on it. Uh, or, or if, if, if no, these, it's, it's just sort of fern-like. Okay, but it, but the stems are woody on it. Yes, absolutely woody. Yes. In fact, I, I went out there so I could have it in my hand as I spoke with you, and I had to break it off from the. Uh, the ground level okay very definitely woody yes okay it sounds like the white version uh there's a i guess you call it a wildflower or perennial wildflower it's called pink mimosa it has nothing to do with mimosa trees but there is a white variant shows up on my ranch every now and then and that is what it sounds closest to um the, the genus Acacia, A-C-A-C-I-A, there are bunches mm-hmm. of different funny 
you know, little growing plants in there, very few of them white. But uh, the thing that what you're describing, it sounds closest to to me is a uh, just the, the white variant of something called pink mimosa. If you were to get almost okay. any wildflower book, you could look that up. On my ranch, it grows two, three, maybe four feet tall if it's in a little bit deeper soil. Uh, deciduous some winters, evergreen some. Uh, heavy produced for flowers in spring and early summer, and then it's uh, just sort of there through the rest of the summer. Very tough, mm-hmm. very resilient. Well, this this grew... Uh, well, at, at fence level as they often do. Yeah. And uh, next to the next to the the six foot privacy fence, uh-huh. and it's right behind a um, Esperanza. Okay. And but, but uh, well, anyway, that's... you know there there are a number of different things out there, but that that little puffball of a flower, I can't really think of anything else offhand that. That that description matches. Okay, uh, should it should it be removed? Do you like it? Uh, well, it's uh, it's okay. Sure. Okay. All well, right. it's not going to be a problem. It's not going to be invasive. You know, an old professor of mine once said said uh, a weed is a plant in the wrong place. Uh, my okay. old or buddy. Someone has never decided uh, that they grip with something for our purposes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, if you like it, leave it alone. If you don't like it, cut it down. It's as simple as that. There's nothing okay. wrong with it. It's not toxic. Um, it's. I can think of many things that are showier, but on the other hand, you probably have the only one in the neighborhood. Uh, okay. Ever mind? I'd probably let it grow and enjoy it. Uh, but uh, that's you know that that's between you and the pruning shears. Okay. Uh, if we have time, I don't know. I was going to ask you, I saw my very first female flower uh, with, with my myriad of cucumber plants. Oh, good. Uh, it, it, it's rather late, it seems to me. Well, everything's uh, late in the vegetable garden this year. We stayed so cool for so long that, uh, you know, uh, things are simply behind. Normally, I would have been picking bush beans, you know, three weeks ago. Normally, I'd have, you know, nice red tomatoes, and all I'm picking right now are cherry tomatoes. And uh, uh, it is just the the weather has been very unusual this this spring. Everything's behind. Um, We're getting some hot days, but when you look at the forecast, temperatures are going to be moderate. So I think it's going to be a good season for cucumbers. It's just happening slightly later than it normally does. Okay. We're going to talk to James one, in a minute, and we'll get his take on it since he's a professional at it. Okay, one final question, if I may. Sure. This this has to do with jalapeno peppers. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm rather envious, and I know I shouldn't be, but in the grocery store, the, the things are monsters. Yeah. Mine are small. It is, is, I mean, fertilization, is that the, is that the it's solution? Probably, or, or? probably more varietal. Uh, you look for one called Jumbo Grande, and that thing is going to be as big as anything that you see in the grocery store, perhaps even bigger and much better quality. Um, it's late to find it. You may have to go online somewhere, Baker Creek or somewhere, to find the seeds. Uh, back in March or so, there were plants out there, but it is a, it's simply a variety called Jumbo Grande Jalapeno, 
And uh, you might call David's Garden Seed here in San Antonio. If anybody would have it, they would. Jalapenos grow pretty easily from seed. And uh, yeah, you can have a uh, you can have a jalapeno that's uh, as big as a small cucumber, uh, but it's all in variety. I mean, fertilization, good cultural techniques will certainly help, but you got to start with the right genetics. And uh, that that one is a big jalapeno, and it's a good okay. tasty one as okay, well. Bob. Thank you so much. Well, appreciate you letting me bend your ear for a while. That's uh, that's what I say. I love this half hour between five thirty and six because they don't have a bunch of commercials in there, and we can take a little more time. Uh, James is patient, as are Eric and Marcy, and I'm down to just a very short period of time before the news break. So uh, we'll talk to them as soon as we come back, and I uh, appreciate your call this morning, Lonnie. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Mm, certainly. Mm, bye. All right, let's get back to these phone lines, and good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing this morning? The day is off to a good start, and um, I expected to do nothing but get better. What about you? Yeah, we're uh, going to get the truck loaded up and start picking tomatoes here in about 30 minutes. Oh, man, that sure sounds good. Um, let's see why that... Oh, um... I, I need some advice. I had to pick a uh, harvest uh, a contest tomato when it was green. <laughs> okay. And, and things worked out really well. But according to my seed-to-seed book, I if I want to save the seeds for a tomato, it has to be picked right. Is, is that right? Well, save the seed. You know, yes and no. Um, here's one thing, and I will go back, uh, you know, to my years ago experience uh, harvesting and growing orchid seed. If you wait until the seed is fully mature, until that seed pod splits open, it is tougher, and that seed has developed a more of a durable coat to help it survive out in nature. But in the orchid business, because of the problems with contamination and because of the way we have to start our things in, in you know, uh, situations like that, nobody in the orchid business waits for the seed pods to ripen because it's a whole lot easier to take a some sort of antiseptic swab and clean that seed pod in sterile conditions than it is to try to sterilize the seed. So here's what I'm saying is that tomato seed in a green tomato once it reaches a certain point, is mature and ready to grow. And if you harvest it, if you plant it tomorrow, you get darn close to 100% germination. But if you dry it and put it in an envelope, then your germination might go down to 15%. Whereas if you harvested mature seed off of that shiny red tomato, uh, you could dry that seed and it would remain viable for a couple of years. So my experience on most plants is that you can harvest the seed much greener, but it hasn't developed that tough protective coating uh, that it would need to survive out of nature. So um, you need to treat that seed properly. You're not going to have, the longer you wait, the the more quickly your germination rate's going to drop off. But I'm going to tell you that when that tomato is approaching full size, it's full of viable seed. The seeds just haven't developed a tough coating yet. Does that make sense? Yes, but this variety evidently was a 110-day uh-huh. tomato, and I didn't realize that, and I did, I grew it as an 80-day tomato, mm-hmm. so it, I had to cut it green 
for the contest. Sure, but I suspect that that tomato had ripe seed in it at uh, seventy days. You know, it. Uh, oh. Uh, it, it it's just like I say, the seed is not going to be as long-lasting. It's not something that you can put away and forget about for five years and then plant it and still have reasonable germination. I would be using some of that seed. I'd be starting Next some... contest? Uh, yeah. Okay, that's the plan to, to use it for, for next year's contest, see what blows up. Well, and maybe even grow a generation of it between now and then. Plant that seed, harvest uh, more tomatoes in the fall, and from your next generation, um, let the seed fully mature, and then you've got a seed that'll last for you know several years for you. Just realize that the seed that you're that you're harvesting now is going to be a little bit more delicate. So go ahead and grow some more plants with it, and on those plants, you know, let the seed mature naturally, and uh, you're going to be just fine. Okay, that's good advice. How's everything else growing? Well, when I start my fall tomatoes, you're you're uh, trying to encourage us to get started a little earlier. Yeah. In in uh, in May, the first of May, I started some seeds, put them in Coco Loco, and uh, got them going, and transferred them to a root maker device and you told me they were getting two, big <laughs> two foot tall and i transplanted a few last night yeah uh it's you know five weeks and i've got a, almost a, a 30 inch plant so is is that going to be too big <laughs> no it's uh, i mean i'm going to learn my lesson and i'm going to wait you know probably 10 days later to start my seed next year because when you plant your seed in may it grows a lot faster than it does when you plant your seed in January. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, as you well know, tomatoes can root all the way up and down the stem. So it doesn't make any difference how big it is. I'm just going to plant it a little bit deeper. I'm going to give it a little bit more support because it doesn't have the tough stem that it will have after it's been out exposed to the elements. But, uh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get those things planted, uh, soon as I conveniently can. I'm going to, I'm going to protect them. I'm going to secure them in those cages or whatever. But uh, more than anything else, I'm going to say next year I'm going to wait till uh, I'm going to wait two weeks later before I start the seed. Just uh, you know, lesson learned: things do germinate, things do grow much, much more quickly as the days get longer and the weather gets warmer. Uh, we start things early because we have to to get the jump on the season. But uh, uh, it's just one of those things that. Uh, James and Bob and everybody else were never too old to learn a new trick. There's a gardening technique that's uh, really becoming popular nowadays, and that's really what I want to talk to you about. It's called a silage tarp. Okay. And uh, people are using it for, uh, you know, uh, preparing a seed bed, then you tarp it, then the weed seeds come off, then you pull the tarp off, and then you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. But Another thing that tarp does is if you want to use the Austrian field piece to cover crop your little four-foot by eight-foot raised bed right, and then cover it with the tarp when it comes transplant time, you can transplant right into that mulch, and you haven't got any weeds to worry about. That's great. We're going to be doing it in the garden, uh, in, the, in the tomato garden, in the rows, and uh, we're going to use it to kill 
the uh, the peas about mm-hmm. two or three weeks before transplant time. What that does is it makes a mulch that you can transplant through with that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, that drill we talked about. Sure. And it also adds a little bit of nitrogen. But what it does is it warms that soil for two, two or three weeks before your transplants go. Well, and the other good thing it does, James, is when you when you kill a plant, when you when you make a plant die, the mycorrhizae and many of the other beneficial microbes on the root system go into a resting or dormant state. When you rip them out of the ground and throw them away, you've just destroyed the mycorrhizal fungus in its active growth state and you have in effect killed it it didn't have any chance to you know toughen up didn't have any chance to form any propagules reproductive structures things like that so you're accomplishing good things that you're not even aware of when you do something like that i didn't think about that that's a really good point man i i wasn't thinking about that okay what we're on the early tomatoes we're having a trouble getting the uh getting the peas to flower when it's time to kill them. Mm-hmm. But Parker Seed, um, Brian Parker has got a, a Biomaster uh, Austrian pea that's a hot soil germinator, and uh, it'll be flowering uh, in the middle of March when it's time to uh, transplant those. Uh, oh, yeah. If you can keep your soil warm enough to germinate, it sounds like a good thing. Well, the... The peas planted in October. Okay, uh, that's pretty early. Okay, yeah. And it's the soil. It, we're still, you know, it's it's ninety degrees the second week in September. So the problem was getting this stuff started early enough to flower and then and then kill down and transplant through. But he's got a new pea, and we're going to be trying it this uh, this fall and and uh, see how everything works out. Sounds like a good plan. Do you keep up? This was just this was a, a super busy week for me, and I have not had a chance to check on the legislature. Do you happen to know whether or not the governor signed the bill to legalize uh, industrial hemp as a crop, uh, raising that that uh, maximum THC level? There has been a lot of talk about it. The feds included it in their farm bill but I don't know what the state of Texas has done. Do you happen to, have you kept up with that this week? No, I haven't heard anything about it, but uh, isn't isn't Georgia doing that? I think they are, but the, the reason I ask is because there's a, a lot of research coming out of Rodale right now that says that hemp is going to be a wonderful cover crop, a cover crop that can be harvested for great ep- economic benefit and at the same time build soil and suppress weeds and, of course, they're doing all their tests a little further north than us, but uh, it's just something that I think some of the gardeners across this area may be that, that are looking for different cover crops to try. Um, it may be something worth looking at, but we've got to be sure of the legality of it before we start talking about it too much. So, anyway, will you get out and have a uh, great, great Father's Day, and uh, I sure look forward to our next visit. Thanks, Bob. Always thank you, sir. We'll talk again. All right, let's get straight back to the phone lines. Uh, Eric, Marcy, Kay, and David. Eric is first. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank uh, you for calling, sir. I had a I had a question about gardening on a balcony. I have an apartment, and mm-hmm. I would like to plant some vegetables, but it's kind of in a bad spot because it doesn't get a whole lot of direct sunlight. And, and I was wondering if you had any suggestions for that. I get maybe... 
three or four hours in the evening, and that's about it. Well, that's uh, three or four hours of afternoon sun is much better than three or four hours of morning sun. I can tell you that peppers will do fairly well for you in that kind of situation uh unfortunately the the thing that everybody wants is tomatoes of course and tomatoes you know that's that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge uh you might think about some of the smaller fruited tomatoes and i can't see your balcony but sometimes uh getting them raised up um up off the ground up where most of the plant is above the rail because believe it or not that rail you know, actually cuts out a lot of the sunlight. So you may want to consider creating uh, some boxes, wooden boxes or plastic boxes or something that you can use to actually raise those plants up a couple of feet off of the floor level there. And uh, you can experiment. I'm going to tell you the smaller fruited tomatoes, and there's some very compact varieties. There's one called Tumbling Tom. There's one called Patio, which is sort of a golf ball-sized tomato. Um, don't be trying to grow these ones that grow eight feet tall because they're going to be all planted and no fruit. But those would certainly be worth trying. Um, if you want to plant a couple of big pots of bush beans, I think you have a pretty good chance of doing well with those. Um, tomatoes and eggplant are going to be the two tough things, uh, to get enough light for. But again, if you, if you can raise the plants up, it'd be worth a try, but man, plant some peppers, uh, plant some shishitos, plant, uh, you know, some, some of the things that you enjoy. Now, when we get into the cooler months, you're going to be able to grow great lettuce. You're going to be able to grow a wider variety of cool weather things, but in the hot summer months, um, Oh, gosh, I guess the same sort of thing. If you would create a raised planter and then let things grow and drape over the side, you could probably do okay with one of the bushing-type squashes um, uh, as opposed to the vining types. And uh, most important thing is just going to be to keep records. You're going to have a combination of successes and failures, and uh, you will have some successes. Learn from those and repeat them. Okay, great. Well, that sounds like a good starting point. And, um I heard you talking about the cucumbers right. earlier. I'm pretty fortunate. I do have my, I'm helping my mom out in uh-huh. her garden and she's got a big half acre lot. Oh, wow. It's real nice. We got about four raised beds there and her cucumbers, we're getting more than we can handle right now. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, this is, this is, this is, yeah, this it's great that you've got a place you can try some of your own, but you can, you can use your mom's place for your production garden. And, uh, uh, yeah, you got the best of both worlds going and she's got, uh, she's very fortunate too, to have an able-bodied son that enjoys doing this. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, those tomatoes, are just, we're just waiting. We're getting, we've got about one, one good one so far. And that that's about it. Well, the, they're going to yeah. come on in her garden and, uh, uh, believe it or not, we're getting close to the time to plant tomatoes for fall, but I want you to look for some of the more compact growers and, uh, yeah. like I say, create some little shelves or something or other. Uh, they've got to be stable. We don't want them blowing over and busting themselves up. But if you can get them up where the top of the pot is, like at the top of the railing, you're going to have much better success at getting things to grow. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for your suggestion. You have a good day. You get back to me and let me know how it works out. Will do. Thanks, Thanks, Eric. (laughs) Bye. Marcy's next. Good morning, Marcy.
Okay, Marcy, I'm going to do this. Let me put you on hold there. we got some weird stuff going on with these phone lines. Okay, there we go. Now, let's get back to Marcy. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. I just want to answer. My teacher called me from Oklahoma. She was here in Christmas, and I and I prayed to have her uh, rosemary in a pot. Uh-huh. And she wants to know when she was willing to plant it on the ground. Um, you can grow rosemary in the pot or in the ground. You can plant it any time you like. Uh, rosemary likes a lot of sun, and it needs soil that drains well. Keep in mind that there is an upright form of rosemary that will grow about five or six feet tall, and then there's the so-called prostrate or trailing form that will only get a couple of feet tall. But rosemary's easy as long as you have plenty of sunshine and uh, soil that drains well, and you can grow it either way. You can grow it in a pot, you can grow it in the ground, you can grow it in a pot for a while and then plant it in the ground, whatever she likes. But do they grow it in Oklahoma because they have a lot of tornadoes and a lot of snow over there? Up in Oklahoma, the upright form is going to be hardier. If she has even a slightly protected place, the upright form of rosemary will go down close to zero without damage. If she grew the trailing rosemary, um, it's going to have to have some winter protection. But I think she would probably do okay with most of the what they call the upright rosemary varieties uh, if she had just a bit of protection from that north wind. Okay, but. Okay, then I'll tell her when she calls me about it, okay? Thank you, that's all I wanted to know. Well, thank you, and you have a great weekend. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, my, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, boy, these phone lines are doing crazy things on us here today. Let's see, let me do, okay, that went there. Now I can punch that and say good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um... I'm wondering about my tomatoes. I have mostly indeterminate, uh-huh. and the leaves, especially around the bottom, are starting to turn yellow. And it is probably a bit of early blight, uh, which is a fungus disease that exists in the soil and then gets splashed up on the plants when we get hard rain, which we had a fair amount of, or just get splashed up with watering. I would... Uh, there, if you want to go out and buy a fungicidal product, there are two or three of them out there. Serenade is one. But I just soak some whole ground cornmeal in water, use that liquid, either pour over the plants or spray the plants, and that pretty much uh, keeps it under control. Now, there are a handful of varieties like Roma are just super susceptible to it, and it's it's a real issue. But uh, uh, most of your others, uh, one or two sprayings, I think, of the corn water tea is going to suppress it to where your plants can simply grow beyond the problem. Okay, so I need to spray them and not just pour it in No, the you can pour it over. Uh, if you have 100 plants, you know, it's more efficient to spray. But if you've got... Uh, if you've got a, a more realistic I've got about number, seven or eight. Yeah, in, no, in just big, great big pot. Just make it up in a watering can and just uh, splash it over the foliage. Okay, just the part that's uh, uh, turning yellow. Just the part that's turning yellow and maybe three or four inches above that, because there are probably some leaves that are infected that just haven't shown up yet. But uh, chances are, if you're aiming for the lower leaves, you're going to get a few leaves above it too, and that's what you want to do. Okay, because they're like, I don't know, six or seven foot tall. Yeah, or so. yeah try, to, try to soak the lower foot to 18 inches. Okay, But great. you don't have to soak the, but, but sprinkle, 
some of the cornmeal on the ground underneath, but get the leaves with that liquid, and uh, it's not going to cure it 100%, but it's sure going to get it to the point you will get a lot of good tomatoes off those plants. Okay, they're doing great. Uh, They're loaded, but um, one other question. I've got a couple of bell pepper plants, and the little tag that came with them, I can't think of the name of it. Okay. But it shows like it's like a, a sweet red one. It's uh-huh. a red one. And I've got some on there, and they're really big, but they're green. Mm-hmm. Do, do I, they just stay on there? I mean, I don't want them to ruin. I'll pick them green if I have to, but well, will they ever turn red? You, you can't taste the flavor. Uh, I mean, you can't taste the color. Um, the color is something that, you know, strictly uh, they do for ornamentation. Yes, they will turn red, and even a green bell pepper, when it is fully mature, will turn red. But um, you can harvest it and enjoy it at any point. It's not going to get better. It's not going to taste a lot different because you left it on the plant long enough for it to get really red. Now, if you lived in California where it never got above 85 degrees and never got below 45 degrees, they would turn red a lot sooner. You'd have bigger fruit at a smaller or at a younger age. And yours will turn red, but they're going to be super mature by the time they do. And uh, once they do, you're going to have to use them fairly quickly. They won't have the keeping quality that they do if you harvest them a little bit sooner. And that's true of the yellow bells. It's true of the red bells. Some varieties are better at turning red more quickly. Keep records of what you plant because there are half a dozen different red bell peppers out there. I did not plant any red bells this year. I just... I reduced my garden size a little bit because I've got a lot of things to do in my greenhouse. But uh, I grew red bell peppers last year, and gosh, I'd have to go back and look and see which variety it was. But uh, they turn nice and glossy red pretty early on. So it may be just, if if you really want red bell peppers, it may be just a little bit of experimenting to figure out which variety is going to do that best for you. I see. Well, um, if I don't pick them and leave them on there, then that cuts down the production, right? Well, not appreciably on peppers. No, it's not going to make a lot of difference. But if you leave them on there, sometimes by the time they're fully colored up, you know, one thing about, one reason that, you know, we use bell peppers and salads and things like that is because of their crispness. Now, if you're cooking with them, um, it doesn't matter if they're a little soft when you start out. But by the time they get fully red, they will have lost that crispness. And you're probably not going to be canning anything with bells, but I know uh, uh, we used to can a lot of jalapenos. And the jalapenos that have turned red do not do not can well. They get mushy and, and no crispness to them whatsoever. So on a hot pepper like a jalapeno, serrano, uh, things like that, you have to pick them and use them before they start turning color. Because even most every pepper out there, including jalapenos, including uh, serranos, including the shishitos, Leave them on the plant long enough, they will turn bright red. But by the time they get to that point, they've lost a lot of that crisp te- uh, texture. Uh, they've got uh, still got excellent flavor. But we like, you know, you like you like a little crunch in your bell pepper. And sometimes by the time they're fully red, they've lost a lot of that crunchiness. Oh, okay. So then the ones that you buy in the store that are red, 
they come from another state. <laughs> they come from another world. It's it's called California. It's a whole different country that uh, we need to divorce ourselves from. But that's a whole other story. But uh, no, they've you know if if you've ever spent any time out there, and I you know I have never lived there, but uh, they have some of the best growing conditions in the entire world out there, and it's a it's a shame that they they waste so much of that. Uh, uh, growing things under high chemical conditions because, boy, it'd be a great place for a little more organic gardening. But, no, I can almost promise you this time of year and through the summer months, the bells that you see in the supermarkets did not come from anywhere close to uh, Kay's Garden. Okay. Well, I like to eat mine raw in salads, so I may just pick them green. <laughs> pick them green and enjoy the crunch. Okay. All right. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, David, Joanne, Liz, and Sherry. And David's up first. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Bob. I've got to a question and a situation. This past <laughs> spring when the uh, – well, I've got a situation I didn't have before. I, I got a new driveway under a big oak tree, and when all that pollen or the blooms or whatever fell, right. it was a massive pile on the driveway, and I swept it into some new – sod and and you know just started to water and mm-hmm. thought that, i thought that that stuff would decompose well I, I i've got an area in my lawn where it's just like that stuff just matted okay and it's it's still there is there anything i can i i'm assuming that by next spring it'll probably be gone but is oh, there no. anything i can do to hasten that let's let's make it let's make it go away now if i was going to use one product I would use liquid molasses. If I wanted to do what I think would be absolutely the best, I would uh, get some of uh, Medina's product. They call Medina Plus, which is a soil activator. I'd take that Medina Plus and I'd add a whole, I'd add another one to two tablespoons of molasses per gallon. I would spray that area, and I think it'll be gone in four to six weeks. It and plus a lot of benefit from it. The uh, Medina Plus with extra molasses going to be great for your soil microbes, breaking down that pollen, which already has an a higher level of nitrogen in it, is going to be in effect a good fertilizer. Yeah, I, I think this is a very easily solved and, and i'm gonna like the word situation it's not really a problem it's something you can take advantage of and turn into a good thing so either spray it with molasses or spray it with medina plus or better still get some medina plus and add a little extra molasses to it okay and then next spring if i a little more in an organized manner spread that stuff out over the whole yard i'm assuming that this probably won't happen the same way well we'll see about next spring i i would love to think that we would have as wet and cool a spring next year as we've had this year but considering how many springs i've seen in texas and then this one was one of the best i've seen from the weather standpoint i'm not at all certain that we're ever going to see uh quite as heavy a pollen crop as we did this year so you're always going to see plenty but this this was just an exceptional year in many ways and uh the plants responded in an unusual fashion so uh, i i'll be very surprised if we get this kind of pollen crop again next year Okay, but even if we do, if, I mean, if I spread that stuff over the lawn a little more evenly than just sweep it off the driveway, it, 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 I probably won't create the matting situation. Well, you can either spread it a little bit wider or you can go ahead and use your uh, 
uh, Medina plus uh, molasses at the time you sweep it onto the lawn, and that way, you know, you're not going to have that problem that uh, that um, water repellent layer ever building up to begin with. Okay, now my situation: a neighbor, an elderly man in his 90s, had his whole lawn pretty much uh, stripped. I don't know what they put on it to kill the grass. He had two monterey's there that were just sat there for years and he he had them replaced i drove away one morning came back and there were three gorgeous monterey's in the yard probably three inches in diameter and 10 feet tall they had the mound around them of course mm-hmm. with the three the, three stages. <laughs> the houston now, idiocy yeah i i was able to convince him to allow me to come over there and and, and put his hose on one of them at a real slow run and said leave it on there all night and then in the morning move it to one and leave it and do the same thing the mm-hmm. next day and i think he did that um i don't know how much i should involve myself or or try to convince him but um they're obviously how often do you think that tree is going to need water in these conditions um if we get wind and heat probably every third day okay and Staking these the trees of this size. I mean, I planted three little red buds a while back, and I did the thing with the stakes over the root ball. But uh-huh. on his, on again, I don't know if I should try to persuade him to let me take his stakes out and do that. I mean, staking the tree. What it, what's the inherent problem with that? I understand. You know. Um, well, it's it it the stem doesn't develop, the trunk doesn't develop its normal strength. Obviously, people have been doing it for a long time, but uh, you know, it's like you you break a leg, you put a cast on it for ten weeks to let it heal. Things are pretty darn weak when you get around to taking that cast off, uh, and that's sort of what staking is. It may hold the tree upright. But uh, it that moving back and forth a bit in the wind is what creates the strength and resilience in that trunk. So you just you're just getting a little bit weaker tree. It's not the kiss of death or anything like that. Okay. What you're going to have to be careful of, David, and I appreciate both your willingness to help and your caution in doing so is unfortunately there are a lot of people some landscapers included that will take advantage of uh, everybody not just older folks but especially older folks and you have to be careful that you're not doing anything in the event that anything goes wrong with one or more of these trees and uh, some of these shyster landscapers that ought to be run out of the business are going to come out and say, well, that's not our fault. That's your fault. You did this. You did this. You didn't do this. It's your fault that tree died, and we're not going to replace it. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Don't, you know, uh, keep keep your involvement low-key. Do the right things to help them, but don't do anything that somebody can come back on and say, well, we didn't tell you to do that, and therefore it's wrong if you get my drift. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say Bob said. <laughs> I don't think that would carry a lot of weight. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work and have a wonderful Father's Day weekend. I appreciate the call, David. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. All right. Top of the board is uh, Joanne. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm off to a good start. How about you? Very good. Very good start as well. Uh, I was gonna call, I'm was gonna. i calling to ask if you could repeat that recipe for the orange oil mix to kind of kill off the clove weeds. Sure. It's uh, You use a gallon of strong vinegar. Add two ounces 
two jiggers, however you want to measure, two ounces of orange oil. Okay. And a little squirt of dish soap. Dish soap, and uh, do you have a preference, Dawn? Or no, nah, it doesn't make any them? difference. doesn't make any difference okay. at all. And only make up as much as you need. If you need a gallon, make up a gallon. If you need a quart, make up a quart. Because once you have uh, mixed these things together, uh, you have to use them, uh, use them soon. They don't store well. They'll blow the top off the bottle. So uh, only make as much as you need. And realize when you're using this as a weed killer, there is no reason to soak the ground. All you need to do is coat the leaves with this, and uh, you'll see results in uh, 15 to 30 minutes. Oh, that's great. That's great. And also you would recommend this? I guess during the hottest part of the day, maybe between one and maybe around three. Yeah, hours. during the warmer, hotter part of the day is uh, is fine. In fact, it's probably best. Uh, but I don't want you out there getting heat stroke because you picked only the hottest part of the day. Any sunny part of the day will do very well. Okay, great. And then uh, can I also ask, would it be, is it too late to uh, scatter the zosia grass seed? Most of the zoysia grasses are, most of the good ones don't come from seed. In fact, the only seed zoysia I know of is Zeon. And uh, this late, it's sometimes a little hard to get a real even germination. You can certainly do it. You'll need to watch your watering very carefully. It needs to be very frequent light waterings to get it up and growing. But unless you're doing a big area, I have to tell you, you're better to go out and buy some sod of either El Toro or Emerald. Um, I'm not a fan of Jammer. Jammer is a zoysia that just simply is very disease-prone. But uh, El Toro, Emerald are my two favorites. Zeon is okay, but um, waiting this late in the year, sometimes getting an even germination rate is a little bit more difficult. Okay. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate your help. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It is Liz's turn. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Doing okay, sir. Thank you. My question is with the diesel and molasses. Yes. I've had molasses uh, sitting around for probably over a year now. Okay. And I tried mixing it the other day with the diesel, but it seemed to be very, very thick. Well, and that's 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 a normal thing. And remember what you're doing. You're killing with the diesel. You're cleaning up the residue that the nasty stuff the diesel leaves behind. That's the purpose of the molasses. You could accomplish exactly the same thing by putting them in two different containers, pour the diesel on, and then pour the molasses on. You don't have to mix them together. Very good. And they don't mix together very well anyway. So just uh, just keep in mind what you're doing, and it just means uh, two jugs to pour from instead of one, but in a lot of cases, it's a whole lot easier. So the diesel first and then the molasses. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you so much. You have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. And it's Sherry's okay. turn next. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking our call. Thank you for calling. Uh, um, we have um, a plant, and first I want to make sure that I've got the right name for it. Um, Prada Barbado, it's, it's yeah. a tiny fern-like little leaves and yeah. red and orange. Bright uh, orange and yellow flowers. Right. You don't you don't have to call it Cecilopenia. You can call it Pride of Barbados. is just fine. Yeah, I, I can never remember. <laughs> um, we have a great friend who gave us some 
uh, uh, parts of it that he planted some seed. Uh-huh. And two, two of them are about two foot tall in a large 10-inch pot. Uh-huh. And three are about a foot, but there are two or three plants in each pot. There's little six-inch pots. Sure. Should we be, should we let them grow together, or should we cut it out to just one? Oh no, no. Let them let them grow together. And uh, do you ultimately plan to put them into the ground? Yes, that's what we want to do now. Yeah, exactly. do it. Do it today. Do it today. Okay. Don't try to separate them. Uh, you'll just get a thicker prettier growth uh, as years go by each year they they will freeze down to the ground but they'll come back fuller and thicker every year where you have three plants together in a pot that's going to be the prettiest plant you have this summer i just get them planted as quickly as you can water them fertilize them and get ready for the color okay and we um, are they deer resistant at all yes they are fairly deer resistant Okay, we have a wire fence, and we wanted to plant them, but we didn't know for sure how big they're going to get. About six feet tall and six feet wide. Okay, so they they need to be planted five or six feet apart then, Ah, huh? uh, you can plant them closer and let them grow together, but if you want to see them individual as individual plants, you need to spread them out. And there are two lines open. It'll be a real good time to dial. We're going to talk to Suzanne and then to Chuck and then to you. You know the number, 210-599-5555. We'll do that just as soon as I tell you this portion of the Garden Show brought to you in part... By friends at uh, Nature's Creation, who makes so many fine products. Golly, they've got, uh, of the new products coming out, some of the best compost you'll ever see, some of the best mulches, uh, some of the best uh, best potting soil. We, we had a hand in uh, what goes into all of these products, and I can promise you, no, bio, no biosolids, no uh, non-renewable Canadian peat moss and things like that. And I really like one of their newest products, which they call Cedar Repel. You can get that as a liquid spray or as the granules now this is not something that's going to cause your allergies to flare up but it's going to run off the mosquitoes it's going to run off the chiggers it's going to do a lot of good things for you and of course if you're needing to fertilize but say gosh i just don't like the aroma of those manure-based products well check out nature's creations a premium lawn food that is based on alfalfa very very pleasant smelling now i have to tell you you may have a little more problem with the dogs wanting to follow you around and munch on it but there's nothing in there that's going to hurt them you know nature's creation is a great company 100 percent organic in everything they do lots and just decades of experience uh, in the owners and the people that operate that company very proud to talk about them and very much in favor of their products look for great things from our friends at nature's creation all right, well, getting to the phone lines, it's going to be Suzanne, Chuck, Maria, and Brad, and Suzanne's been most patient. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm just off to a good start. What about you? I am, too. Um, I'm going to be shoveling some mulch as soon as I get off the phone. Well, I, uh, it's a good thing to get done early. Absolutely. In fact, I can't I can't handle it since the heat has come. Um I have garlic drying on the floor of my kitchen. It's been here for three weeks. Okay, probably pretty dry now. Some, well, it still has some green showing on the stem. Uh-huh. That's my question. How Does it have to be completely brown? Um, it depends on how you're going to store it. Now, most people, uh, if you're planning, unless you're planning to braid it and hang it, uh, most people don't leave the stems on. Most people are going to trim the stems off. If you're going to braid it, it will be easier to braid 
Uh, before it gets totally, completely dry, you're just going to need to be sure that it stays in a place with good air circulation, and it'll finish drying naturally. That's not a problem at all. Okay. I had a problem a couple of years ago when I did all this prematurely, and I lost all of it. Uh, oh, that's not good. I, I also, yeah, it's like a year's worth of garlic that I lost. <clears throat> so uh, this year, I'm... I, I have so much. I'm going to be given a lot. We have a local, our local food pantry, mm-hmm. a Christian cupboard, and Sadina's going to be getting quite a bit of it once it's ready to, to trim up. Well, just remember, are- remember air circulation, air circulation, and more air circulation. Uh, that's a secret, and uh, it's not something that I think you ever want to seal up in a bag or. Um, you know, put away somewhere that's dark with no air movement. At this point, I think as long as you keep, be sure that it's not being shut off from air circulation, I think you can do almost anything you want to with it. Okay, uh, I'm good to go. I think I, there's so much of that, I do believe I'm going to have to braid it, so I better get on that today, this afternoon. Sounds like I a second. Yeah, sounds like a good thing I'm to do sorry. in the heat when you get through shoveling your compost and uh, mulch. <laughs> Yeah, I would do it in the air condition. Right. Uh, I have a quest- question for you. I, I'm, I had a rock rose, pretty little plant, loved it. It's a, it, it was in a, a raised bed with a southeast exposure, grew up next to a brick wall, did not mind being blasted by the sun or anything. Well, over the winter, I lost it, and I suspect it was that freak early freeze that we had mm-hmm. um, that, that, that just knocked it out. It tr- I've tried to green up in February, right? But it's, it's dead, as dead as a doornail. So I just don't want to repeat the mistakes I made last time. So give me your best tips for rock rose. Consider it an annual and plan on planting it every year because oh, about half it. the about half the time is going to die regardless of what you do. It's uh, uh, I won't say that there was anything wrong with your performance. You just set your expectations too high. What we call rock rose here, pavonia, many times they make seed, and quite frankly, when they return, a lot of the time it's coming back from seed. It's not coming back from the original plant. So uh, um, you're you're not doing anything wrong. I think you just set your expectations too high. If you really want to save your rock rose from season to season, it's going to have to stay in a pot and come inside or else you're going to have to take some cuttings off of it at the end of the growing season, maintain those under lights indoors. Um, probably best thing is just plan on spending a couple of bucks and getting a fresh plant in the spring. But uh, that's kind of typical. The the pavonia that we call the rock rose, whether it's the pink one, there's a little different one they call the Brazilian rock rose, which is also a pavonia that's kind of a beige color with a darker center. But both of those, you're going to lose them in a cold winter, and you're always going to lose them when we have a weird early freeze like we had this past year. Okay. That, now... Now I can cut myself a little slack. I'll Absolutely. I'll buy $7 for a new one next spring. There you go. And not, and not worry with it anymore. You know, being a helicopter plant mom is not going to help this baby out. No, no. It's just, uh, like I say, it's not anything you did wrong. You just had uh, expectations that were unrealistic, shall we say. Well, you know, frankly, I have had, uh, we're for five years now in this on this particular property, and I've had the same experience in South Texas, various properties. 
some plants that have been reliably perennial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm talking about not not bushes, but flowers. Uh-huh. Just don't don't make it. They crater, and I never really know why. I, I try to build on my past experience, but mm-hmm. sometimes that's just you know it's a new place, new new growing conditions, and I just can't uh, I can't predict what's going to make it and whatnot. And of course, then we have the variances of our lovely weather. Right. Uh, I guess that's what keeps you guys, you, you plant guys in business, huh? Well, I I guess that's one way of looking at it. But, you know, everybody's growing situation is different. But even in one garden, um, we can take a plant that, you know, nine, or nine years out of ten is perennial in a given spot. But you move it to a spot with a little different exposure, with perhaps slightly different soil, slightly different moisture conditions and it may only you know come back one out of 10 years so every environment is is different and uh, i tend to say when you find a plant that really does well in a given spot leave it alone but you you can't just automatically assume it's gonna grow wherever you put it now there's some things that uh that are much more reliable than others uh, mainly in the form of things that are woody or else evergreen. But our perennials, I mean, outside of a handful of things like shrimp plant, and I can't think of a whole lot more, um, Pride of Barbados would be one, Esperanza would be another. But there are a lot of things. I mean, there are years when we lose plumbago, and normally that's one of the hardiest things in the world. Uh, most of the salvias are quite hardy and reliable, but... Um, uh, I remember, you know, it's, uh, I, I think about, I think about old lady Fanick today, uh, with the, the creation long before you and I were on this earth of Fanick's nursery. And, uh, I think another of his signs says, uh, uh, plant life is not guaranteed. Neither is human life nor any other life on this planet. So, uh, you're gonna, you're just gonna have different experiences and not everything's going to do perfectly every year. You're, well, you're absolutely right. And I, I, my final thought is I want to thank you again for recommending shishito pepper. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm growing them for the first time this year. My husband and I are in love with them. And it's like that is uh, we don't really care for hot peppers. Mm-hmm. It has just a little bit of heat to it. Yeah. And they're just perfect and prolific. Oh, my Hello. God, yes. Yeah. And, and if it survives in my vegetable garden, it is one tough cookie. It is. So. And uh, do you do it like the brew pubs do? Do you blister it in a hot skillet and then serve it with a little ranch-style dressing or something? Uh, yeah, that's a, I just, that, in fact, was our, our uh, side course with uh, an entree this week where it's blistered shishitos with oh, man. dipping sauce. It's, oh, yeah, I felt like I died and gone to heaven. Wow, they're great. Yeah. And so they, I just wanted to say thank you again. Oh, you were certainly welcome. And uh, you just have a, a good day and call me anytime I can help. I will. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Chuck. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning. How are you doing today? Uh, it's just the day's off to a good start. Good. I listen, try to listen to you quite often, and you've given good advice to help me out with gardening. Good. But my question today is not so much gardening, it's lawn. And uh-huh. I don't know if that's your expertise. I've got in my backyard, my backyard area, I've got St. Augustine grass, and I've noticed the runners are coming up 
and running across the top instead of staying down. And I'm wondering, is it just the fact I need to water it more? or It's St. Augustine. St. Augustine does that periodically. Okay. Some varieties are worse than others. Typically, you will see you've got plenty of runners at ground level, but um, occasionally it can be a grub worm issue, which is roots, you know, being cut. But a lot of the time, um, for whatever reason, it's just a lot of the runners will come up high. I just mow them off. It seems to encourage them uh, to spread more at ground level. I think a little top dressing of compost helps. I think a little good organic fertilizer helps. But uh, you're just looking at what St. Augustine chooses to do sometimes. And uh, I one thing you can do is you can take those runners off. I know my grandmother used to do that. And where she wanted to have more St. Augustine, she'd go pin them down to the ground, put a little bit of dirt on top of them, and then take off and grow like everything else. But uh, uh, this is just kind of typical of St. Augustine, nothing to worry about and nothing special you need to do about it. Okay, well, I'll do that. I've got a few places I don't mind put them on the ground, do what you say, get, get a little bit more St. Augustine. Yes, sir. You'll have to water very frequently, probably two, three times a day, but um, that's oh, yeah. that's its natural mode of reproduction. It doesn't make a viable seed, and uh, yeah, it's, you, you'll be very successful with it, but uh, it, it's not unusual, and it's not a sign that you're missing anything. If you haven't fertilized in the past two or three months, I would fertilize, and uh, if you didn't put compost on this spring, I would think about you know, spread it in thin layer of compost next fall when it cools off a little bit. Okay. Put some compost in the fall and, and do just do a fertilizer sometime. Yeah. I know a lot of times on the fertilizer, you know, they say if it gets too hot, don't use it. But as long as I keep it watered, it shouldn't be a problem, right? shouldn't be a problem whether you water or not as long as you stay organic. It's a problem with yes, those synthetic definitely. high nitrogen salt type fertilizers. Yeah, you can burn things, you know, 365 days a week with that. But, uh, the good in Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, uh, all those fertilizers, uh, you can use them 365 days a year, and you water when it's convenient. Okay, good. I'll think about getting some of that, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, another question I had for you is, and the previous caller, what was the name of the pepper that she liked? Shishito. Shishito. S-H-I-S-H-I-T-O. Shishito. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. It yeah, is the most yeah. prolific little pepper, and uh, uh, whether you drink or not, if you visit any of the brew pubs around, uh, they that has become one of the most popular appetizers in the world, and they are so easy to fix. Just uh, what they do, they call it blistering. Just put it in a very hot right. skillet and blister them, and then serve with uh, everybody has their own modified ranch dressing. And uh, and as, uh, as she was saying, they're... They're hot enough, as an old chef friend of mine used to say, they're hot enough to have some authority, but not to hurt you. And uh, But it's it'll be one of the most delicious things, one of the easiest peppers you've ever grown. I think I've got 10 plants out there, and I bet you I could go out, and I harvested a bunch of them earlier this week, but I'll bet you I could go out this morning and pick 200 peppers if I wanted to. Wow. Yeah. I, I decided to try something this year. I was one of the box stores, and they had a pepper called Coutinho. Okay. And uh, it says it's a heatless jalapeno. And I went, yes, right. And I put it in. And uh when they came up, I was totally shocked. Seeds and all you could eat, and it wasn't hot. But my question is why? (laughs) (laughs) Who who wants a jalapeno without heat? I like the mild jalapenos. 
And oh, I agree. Uh, I want to try for fun. I, you know, well, that's the only way we learn. And uh, <laughs> to me, it's kind of like the uh, the the really old man telling his grandson, saying, "You know, tomorrow I said, uh, Sonny, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chase women, and tomorrow I'll celebrate my 85th birthday." And the young man says, "How?" <laughs> there you go. So uh, you enjoy, but you try those shishitos, Chuck. I think you'll be uh, you'll be in love all over try. again. All right. Well, thank you for taking my call. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the call. Bye. Bye-bye. I say good morning, Brad. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm well, sir. How about you? I'm doing okay. Good. Uh, Yeah, I'm afraid I may have a bad connection with you, but I've got a quick question. uh, I've got a new house to me, and it's just out of the yard. There's really no beds or anything in it. And my wife is going to want to fill this thing full of flower beds. Okay. And what this means to me is a lot of work. (laughs) 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 And my concern is the amount of weed that I get in the bed. And is there, I mean, I guess what would be called sandy low. Okay. That's kind of the post of Savannah. Mm -hmm. I do have one big live oak, but the rest of it's just post oak. And uh, what kind of ground cover could I use in just general farm? She's going to plant all kinds of stuff. But uh, just something that maybe you hide the weed, if not, you know, do away with them. Well, um, you know, Asian, Asiatic or Asian jasmine <clears throat> will tolerate uh, the highest temperatures we have, it'll tolerate full, brutal sun as long as you're able to keep it watered. Um, there is a something that's a little faster growing, but it's a little bit wimpier. You have to really watch your watering. Uh, there's ground cover called Silver Ponyfoot Dichondra. Uh, if it gets too wet or it gets too dry, it's not real happy. Uh, there are uh, two or three... Uh, uh, they're native plants in the, uh, uh, they're called dahlia, D-A-L-E-A, I believe is a spelling on it. Um, these are native, uh, they call them a pea. They're actually a legume and those are all different choices. But as far as a regular ground cover, ground cover, Asian jasmine's going to be probably the hardiest, easiest to find best choice you could make for an evergreen ground cover now there's a plant out there that is called uh goes by a lot of different names serratostigmas its botanical name or lead word it is called people refer to it as dwarf plumbago but it is not a plumbago it is not related to plumbago in any way uh its specific name is uh plumbagioides it's serratostigma plumbagioides which means looks like plumbago and this stuff will take the blazing heat it blooms with a dark cobalt blue flower Uh, i've got it two or three places in my landscape and i water it two three times a year whether it needs it or not Um, only disadvantage is it freezes to the ground every winter it goes away totally every winter but it comes back very quickly in the spring and uh, it is a really tough, vigorous, hardy ground cover. But like I say, they're about uh, two months out of the year that it's just uh, there's just nothing there. But that's another thing you could look at. Um, golly, there there are a number of different there are a number of different things. That that sounds good. 
good information. I'll, I'm going to let you get to your next call, but I do have to say you're probably my favorite radio show. Well... I did have to throw that out there. Well, you're mighty kind, Brad. I appreciate it. And um, uh, do do look. There's some other things. There's a native plant called frog fruit. Um, again, not quite as attractive, but it's a it's a Texas wild growing native plant that would make a ground cover. But but if you're looking for something that would be ornamental, uh, check out the Asian jasmine. It's probably going to be your best bet. And Call me anytime I can help, and in the meantime, have a happy Father's Day tomorrow. Hey, thank you. You did say. Thank you, sir. I certainly plan to. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Penny. Is up next. Good morning, Penny. Hi, Penny. Hi. This is this is Jenny. Jenny. Okay. Good, good morning. morning, Jenny. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm I'm good. I'm very good. It sound it sounds like you're good. I love listening to your show. You're so always upbeat, and it it's just a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's my pleasure. A, How can I help? I, I've got a quick question. I know that it's too early to do this, but I have graspers and dogs with long hair. When and what? Do I put down to get rid of the grass burrs? I'll tell you what I did in my yard because I had a section that we used for a croquet court that would get to the point in the summer that, I mean, you couldn't walk through there. Even the dogs would avoid going around this area. I put down a about a half-inch layer of compost in the fall, period. That's all I did. Next spring, I had maybe three grass burrs in that entire area, I don't think I've pulled a grass burr out of that area in maybe 10 years now. And I watch people spending all this money on herbicides and pre-emergence and things. And for me, I think a fall application of about half an inch of compost over the area. Uh, it's a natural pre-emergent. It seems to destroy the seeds. It's going to help whatever grass or material is there. It's going to, you know, just strengthen that incredibly. So all I'm going to tell you to do at this point, all you can do really is mow for the summer because grass burrs are an annual weed. They die out totally every winter, and then they re-sprout from those damnable little burrs the next spring. But if you'll put out a layer of compost this fall, I don't think you'll have any grass burrs next spring. Okay. Can you tell me exactly what those grass burrs look like as a plant? They're just a grass. They have a... Uh, they have a blade that is a little bit wider than, uh, Bermuda grass. Uh, they grow from a central point. Uh, they don't have a runner like Bermuda or St. Augustine does, but they're just a little clumping grass. The, the grass blades are probably about three eighths of an inch wide, two to three inches long. And, uh, you have to look at them pretty carefully to distinguish them from your other grass that's already there. Okay, so I got another weed. I can't figure out what it is. Okay, so what month should I put down this compost? Either October or November. October or November. I knew it was too early, and I was like, "Ah, where's <laughs> all my notes from him?" Well, it's uh, it's time to plan. It's just not time to act quite yet. Okay. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. You have a blessed day. You do the same, Jenny. Thank you so much. We will talk. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. 
All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Maria is first. Good morning, Maria. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I had two, I had two questions for you. Hey? I have a, a lone a canna plant. It was blooming beautifully. Uh-huh. And then it went to make seed, and now it's made seed, and it hasn't bloomed again. Do cut. I need to cut those seed pods off? Absolutely. Cut the seed pods off. And this will help stimulate some new growth. Now, cannas, they're, they're different varieties. They're dwarf ones. They're tall ones. Some of them rebloom. Some of them just bloom almost constantly. And some of them just bloom once in the early summer, and then that's all you get. Hopefully, yours, uh, I, I would cut off the seeds. I would fertilize, and then I would expect to see some new growth come out, which should bloom. Should I let them uh when those little seed pods start coming out, should I just cut them off then? Absolutely. Once the flowers have stopped being pretty, cut them off. Okay, and then they'll keep blooming. Depends on the variety, but right. most varieties of canna will. Okay. And then my other question, I, I have two big tubs that I put tomato plants in. Mm-hmm. And I always put Epsom salts in the bottom of the plants. Like okay. Bay, and I even put rock phosphate in there. And my first couple of tomatoes still have that uh, bottom rot yep. on them. What you need to do is don't, you know, don't just put your Epsom salts in one place because what you want to do is spread the Epsom salts out over the entire pot. Uh, this is not something the tomato plant takes up. You're actually changing the soil everywhere that the tomato's roots are growing. So uh, the the rock phosphate, yeah, we put that in the bottom of the hole. But you should take your handful of Epsom salts and spread it all the way across the surface of the soil. And uh, that will then stop your blossom end rot. The other option is to dissolve your Epsom salts in water, about two tablespoons to the gallon. Use that to water your plants thoroughly, and you should have no more blossom end rot. But it's not one of those things you can just put a clump in. Oh, okay. Okay, because I just kind of put it in a hole and didn't spread it. No, you need to spread it throughout the soil. All right. Well, thank you so much. You are certain. You do the same. Thank you, Maria. Uh, let's see. Next up is going to be Caesars. Good morning, Caesar. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm just getting better by the minute as I get closer to being back outside. How are you today? Good, sir. I got some questions about indoor plants, and I'm going to give you a list of what I bought. And, okay. Uh, and, and I can give you some of the things that are happening. I bought some peace lilies. Okay. Uh, they're doing fine. Uh, I bought a corn plant, Dracaena marginata. I got a prayer plant. I've got rubber plants, and I've got ivies. Okay. Now, oh, and a fig, and a fig uh, tree type, about two and a half feet tall. Okay. Uh, real pretty indoor plant. They're all indoor. I repotted them uh, with a miracle grow that says you cannot, you know, overwater, underwater, and that stuff dries out really quick. Oh, so that's I'm not BS. Sure what's yeah. Going on. Yeah. Don't don't but go to Miller. My problem is, uh, yeah, uh, but my problem is is, uh, well, the uh, when I replanted the fig tree uh it had a little brown spots on it and and uh and then the dracaena has tips that are browning and so was the corn plant so i put them on the deck outside okay. but 
I'm not sure what's going on with uh, those. At my, uh, it's maybe it's not a good uh, indoor plant, uh, but there's my plant list. Uh, I bought them for the uh, the actual toxins that they take out of the air and things mm-hmm. like that. And okay. uh, just want to know. Oh, and what what do you think about using hydrogen peroxide uh, with water to kind of kill the gnats in the water? Or am I overwatering? I think you're I watering. I think you're watering too often on some, and I think that you have, uh, you've got a quite a variety of plants, and you've got some of these plants that want lower light levels, and some of them that want super bright light levels. Um, <clears throat> your ficus tree, your rubber tree, and your cena marginata, those are three plants that need super bright sunlight uh if, if they're good house plants but they need to sit right in a sunny window a south window or a west window if you put them outside for the summer they will tolerate morning sun maybe not the hot afternoon sun but your dracaena marginata your rubber tree which is a type of ficus and your ficus benjamina um, those are all plants that need super bright light and they should never you don't want to keep them soggy wet, but you don't ever want them to let dry. You let your rubber plant, your ficus plant, for instance, get dry thoroughly one time, they're going to drop leaves for six weeks. So you need to take those three plants, keep them together in a really bright spot. Now, your peace lily and your corn plant and your ivies, those are all plants that want it bright, but they do not require as much light as the other three. If it's bright enough to sit and read a newspaper without turning on the light, that is enough for all three of those plants. And as far as watering, water them really thoroughly when you water, and then don't water again till that soil's dry on the surface. And don't buy any more miracle Grow potting soil. That's not the best in the world. Get a, get a good soil that is not peat moss-based. But uh, your peace lily, your ivy... And your corn plant all are sort of in the middle. Uh, they don't want it real dark, but neither do they want it super, super bright. They'll be the ones that you don't you can grow in your home, but they don't have to sit right over in the window. Now, your prayer plant, that's a tough one to grow. It's actually happiest on the patio, but this fall you're going to have to uh, protect it from freezing weather. It just it likes the humidity of being outside. Uh, it wants bright but filtered light. Um, and, uh, and it will grow very well. The prayer plants are beautiful plants, but if you're growing it inside, give it a week's rest outside for every week that it spends inside. But, uh, just adjust your plants according to the amount of light they need. And you'll be successful with every one of those plants, Caesar, and they will do whirls to keep your, to keep your air cleaner. And remember that when you water all these plants, you water, water them very, very thoroughly because most of the roots are all the way down in the bottom of the pot. You saw that when you repotted them. So unless you're watering thoroughly enough to really saturate the bottom of the pot as well as the top, then you haven't watered enough. But then don't water them again until that soil's dry about a knuckle deep. Uh, get a little Haster Grow instead of Miracle Grow or um, Espoma liquid fertilizer or something. And uh, you should do very well with all those plants. Uh, you made some good choices. Well, thank you very much. That's what I needed to know. I I, uh, I have the Sansevieras, too, uh, mother-in-law tongue. Yeah, mother-in-law's uh, tongue will well, do. But, yeah, they'll do with moderate light. They won't take a freeze, so they can't go outside in the winter months. But Sansevieria is a very good medium-light plant for inside. 
Okay. Okay. Well, that's what I need to know. Now, what did you feel about the uh, hydrogen, uh, you know, one part to three parts water? Uh, do you think that works? Or, you know, I've read about it, so I wasn't sure what I, you thought about I'm it. I'm hopeful you're not going to have fungus gnats to begin with. Uh, as long as you water thoroughly and then let the soil dry to the proper point, you're probably not going to have fungus gnats. Fungus gnats are usually from people that water too often and don't water thoroughly enough. So uh, I, I doubt if you're going to have to deal with it. If you do, yeah, hydrogen peroxide's fine, but uh, there, there's something that you shouldn't see if you're watering correctly, Caesar. Okay, then maybe that's my an indication of... I'm doing something wrong with the watering yeah. then because I uh, maybe it's not drying out fast enough or something. Well, it's yeah, it's after watering. It's probably uh, light is what draws water through a plant. If you get an adequate light, your plants will dry at the proper rate. But if they're not getting enough light, they'll stay too wet too long, and you'll have uh, you'll have fungus gnat problems. Oh, there was one more little plant that I had, uh, the money tree. And that's doing pretty good. I haven't lost any leaves on it. I let it dry between water. I'm watering every seven days. Yeah, don't try to I water by the calendar. Don't try to water okay. by the calendar. Um, if you if you water every seven days, that's probably not enough for your ficus, uh, but it's too much for your corn plant, for instance. That little money tree, it's called Pachira. Uh, that's the one that wants to stay with your ficus, your uh, Dracaena marginata, your rubber plant. It's a bright light plant. It's going to be the fastest growing plant you have, but it should be very successful yeah, for you. Well, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that info. Uh, I'll come by and see you at your shop. We always look forward to seeing you, and uh, uh, you have a happy Father's Day, Caesar. We'll talk again. All right, we finish up the hour with uh, Sherry and with Jim, and uh, Sherry is up first. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? You sound like you're out in the wind. And I listen to you on Saturday and Sunday mornings while I do my walking. Ah, I appreciate and, that. And I have to tell you a story. My son and daughter-in-law bought a house out in Florida, and they had some garden issues. And I said, well, let me call Bob and see what he says <laughs> you need to do. And, and when I was out there one time, they were like, it, it, they thought you were a friend of mine. I said, well, he is. Absolutely. I said, I, I, I said he's a friend of everybody in San Antonio because he cares about uh, cares about you, and that's what a friend is. Well, and I'm told uh, I wake I, up with the best women in San Antonio on Saturday mornings. <laughs> there you go. Um, I just put in a flower bed that's about uh, feet by three and a half feet, and I raised it up using the chop. Uh, Sherry, you're you're going in and out with all that wind. Try to try to turn so you're getting a little less wind hitting your phone. I I caught that sh- that flower bed is three and a half feet wide and eighteen feet long. Is that right? Uh, Thirteen feet. Thirteen feet. Okay. And it gets sunlight from about ten o'clock in the morning till about four in the afternoon. Okay. And the reason I put it in is I want to. I want to put plants in that bloom all summer but do not die back in the winter time. So I end up with just a bunch of dirt in the winter time. Okay. Um, and so I wanted some suggestions um, 
because I just I want lots of color right now. Sure. Everything in this house we bought is is brown. Okay. And so. And whereabouts is your new home? Uh, we uh, I'm a couple miles outside 1604. Okay. And off of uh, Blanco Road. Okay. Um, things that will do well in that bed. Uh, there are many different colors of salvia greggii, G R E G G I I. And uh, they will bloom all summer long for you and will remain evergreen. Uh, there are a couple of colors of a plant called Skullcap, S-K-U-L-L-C-A-P, Scutellaria, mainly pink and white. Those are evergreen plants, which will give you flowers over a very, very long period of time. Um, let's see, other things that are going to be evergreen uh, some winters they will freeze back. Some winters uh, will remain evergreen. Uh, there, um, oh gosh, there's a, a yellow plant. The one common name is yellow plumbago. I don't know why they call it that. Better name is thryallis. T h r y a l l i s. That's going to give you a tremendous amount of color all summer long. Um, plumbago will freeze some winters and won't. But if you mix in some salvias or mix in some of the uh, deciduous salvias, some of the lantanos, plumbago, things like that, when you mixed it in with the evergreen things, you've got a nice backbone of stuff that's going to be green year-round. And then some of these other things you don't really notice when they freeze back. So those are just a handful of things that I would start with that are going to bloom 10 months out of the year for you. Okay, now I've done uh, the salvia and the skullcap. Mm-hmm. On the skullcap, it always seemed to get very leggy. So when it, when do you cut it back? Trim it, so trim it, it early stays? spring. Trim it early spring to force it to fill out. Okay, and I was at Rainbow Gardens uh, earlier this week, and they and they had one that I'd never seen before. It was actually a purple skull cap. That one won't that take that much was, sun. That one won't take that okay. much sun. It it'd be happy in morning sun, but that uh, two to four o'clock sun's going to burn that one up. So you need to find a different bed to plant that one in. Okay, all righty. Yeah, I didn't buy anything. I was just waiting until uh, until I could get <laughs> some information from you because. Sure. I wanted to because it was so pretty, but I was like, mm, Well, if you wait. stop by stop by the nursery one of these days, we've got a long list of things that will tolerate this sun, and I'd love love to give you a copy of it. Let me get uh, let me get Jim in here before we have to go to news. Uh, Jim, I will hold you, and we'll talk off the air if we need to. Uh, how can I help you this morning, sir? Uh, hey, long time listener, first time caller. Appreciate it. Yeah, put some grapes in. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, Concord grapes. And there are grow tubes in the backyard. Okay. Um, I've got rust spots coming up, and the leaves are falling off. What can I do with that? Um, you probably got an uneven watering situation. Water them very thoroughly, but let them get pretty dry between times. Um, you can uh, soak some whole ground cornmeal in water and spray on the foliage. That will take care of most of the rust spots. But I think what you're looking at is a spring that's been abnormally wet, and I think just about everybody growing them is seeing the same thing this year. This is the first time I've ever done this. Good morning, Howard Garrett. Hey, good morning. Good morning, sir. It's... Uh, <laughs> That was my fault. My fingers aren't working this morning. Well, I'm just glad that we got it sorted out. How are you doing? 
I'm fine. I'm out of town again and uh, learned some new things that uh, I want to tell you about real quickly. I'm out of town on a wedding friend of Logan's, and we uh, started in Madison, uh, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. I had never never been there. Uh, we took advantage of the fact that uh, Taliesin uh, East is there, and I'd never been. So we went there yesterday on Frank Lloyd Wright's eastern headquarters uh-huh and it's uh it was fascinating it's um uh, it's up on the top of a hill about 800 acres and just beautiful uh site it's got this incredible story it burned down twice and one of the one of the times a servant of his uh started it on purpose and then killed nine people oh as they tried to <laughs> escape it I had never heard the whole story of it, and we got the docent that we had was was terrific, and uh, he rebuilt the thing twice. And it's a huge place; it kind of rambles all over the place. Uh, and it, you know, it's where he brought interns in and and kept experimenting with ideas, architectural uh, ideas. But in the beginning, it was just a farm. They had pigs and horses, and you know, did the maintain the crops there and the whole thing but a lot of it's stone stone that was quarried right off of the place and uh, you know his usual uh, very interesting uh, architecture but hearing the rest of the story was was uh, was really worth it i'd recommend anybody gets to go to that part of the country uh, take advantage of going to see taliesin west or east wow and uh and I guess this dates from uh, the early 1900s. Early 1900s, uh, at the latest, it might even been a little bit earlier than that. He uh, he did it pretty pretty early on. I guess it was early 1900s. He had three different wives and, and nine children uh, in all, and it was I had no idea about all that part of the. Uh, part of the story that that sort of thing paul harvey would have enjoyed and uh what did he call his things now you know the rest of the story it sounds like a right. pretty fascinating story there yeah taliesin uh the word is uh dutch i think dutch uh meaning shining brow and his idea was to, that the house was built around the brow of the hill it looks like it's on the top of the hill to mm-hmm. me, but for the most part, it kind of creeps down the hill mm-hmm. as well. And it did his usual thing, you know, a lot of glass, beautiful views. He didn't believe in drapes of any kind, so it was totally open. And you get some good ideas, you know, design ideas for yourself, seeing what he did. place is a lot bigger than, than I expected, too. It's quite a bit bigger than Taliesin West out in Arizona. Uh-huh. Well, it's, I've always been impressed. His style was sort of a rambling style and just very unique to him. And uh, I still think very, very beautiful. It's it's among my favorite architectural styles. Yeah, it's different. He, um, she, our docent, confirmed what I had always heard because, you know, Stanley Marcus was a friend of mine. Stanley actually worked with him, had a house designed. I've got the plans, in fact, and uh, they were, it was never built because they – uh, he busted the budget during the Depression by $100,000. Oh, wow. And they had a giant falling out. He was notorious for, uh, uh, you know, c- 
talking people into doing these incredible projects, but he was also notorious for never meeting the budget and designing <laughs> things that didn't hold together very well because he didn't, his ego was such that he didn't think he needed uh, arch- uh, engineers and landscape architects. He, he uh, considered himself uh, good enough to do all those things. So yeah. they've been repairing it and you know, getting it back in shape now for quite a while, and they're doing a really good job. It, it's really they really are doing a wonderful job of restoring it to the you know the character that he actually designed into the place. The other thing, we're in Milwaukee now for the wedding, and uh, on the way here, while well, I was actually close close to Taliesin. We went to a place called uh, the House on the Rock, and it's something I've never heard of. It's pretty famous around here. It was designed by an architect that Frank Lloyd Wright fired, and then he <clears throat> took his basically ideas, his kind of uh, feel for design, and designed this place. It doesn't look too terribly close to it, but anyway, that's the story. But it's a huge place. We got there at closing time and, and uh, walked down. They weren't even selling tickets. We just walked down the hill to try to see what was going on. We ended up going in a building and got lost in the building because it's gigantic. And it has tens of thousands of carousel horses and mannequins and dolls and, uh, and about four or five carousels, one of them being the largest carousel in the world, all inside this building. And it was like we had gone into uh, uh, Rod Serling's yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, Twilight I mean, Zone, yeah. The Twilight <laughs> we got a little nervous about how to even get out of the place. <laughs> and, and I don't think that we saw a tenth of the project. So if any of the listeners or from this area or have ever been here and, and have gone in that thing and experienced it, we'd love to learn a little bit more uh, about it. There was more outside uh, reproductions of uh, cities and all kinds of things from the the way the brochure reads. But but I, it was pretty incredible. I'll put some picture. Oh, the other thing was I took, I took probably 50 or 60 pictures inside the uh, place that was so creepy. And only three of them are kept on my phone for some reason. They vanished. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you had someone with you in there. That's uh, that, that sounds like make a pretty good little horror movie out of that with a little bit of creativity. But, we uh, didn't find the exit. We had to get one of the guys that worked there to show us how to get out, literally. I mean, it was pretty interesting. And Judy's still dealing with a torn hamstring, and so yeah. we ended up walking just a, a huge amount inside this building. So she was uh, really getting tired of it. Logan was with us uh, as well. But anyway, uh, we've seen some interesting things in this part of the country. We took a boat ride last night in the views of uh, – of downtown Milwaukee is really nice, it's pretty. But the uh, Madison r- surprised us more than anything. Beautiful, beautiful city. It's about two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and the capital is there. It's it's the capital, and the building is one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen. It's a uh, you know typical formal domed. 
Capitol mm-hmm. building. Right. But it's all stone and marble and, and just beautiful, beautiful stonework. And it's something else I'd highly recommend going to see. The, the, the most odd thing about it was you can walk right up to it and walk in it. And not only that, you can walk through the entire building and the offices, you know, of state representatives and the state pope and various officials, the doors are open and you can see in there's no security at all. Wow. How they still do that in, you know, today, I have no idea. Anyway, kind of long-winded what I've been up to. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating. Has spring come up there? What are they experiencing as far as weather this spring? And are they as delayed as a lot of places around the country? Or how do things look? Looks really good, really lush. And I think probably pretty close to what's normal. You know, it ranges from the mid-50s to the to the mid-high uh, 80s. Really, mm-hmm. really pleasant temperature. It's been really a, a strong wind for a few days that's the only thing different a lot of plants i have seen are in uh, bloom right now so they seem to be kind of right on schedule are there botanical gardens i mean you go just a short distance over into you know pennsylvania and some of the surrounding areas and some of that uh um country where you know some of the early philanthropists were but i've not been to wisconsin either and uh one of, uh, well, Wendy that works uh, with us at the nursery is from Wisconsin, and she said, I'd love to go back there, but I'd never want to live there again. But uh, it, it's apparently said it's just a beautiful, green, lush area, but I, I've never really heard much about gardens up there. Well, I haven't either. Logan's good at researching that stuff, and she mentioned one botanical garden to us that we may go see today, so I may have a little more information on that when we get back. But, uh, the wedding is today, and they're going to be pretty busy with all that. I think we're going to have time to sneak off and uh, sneak around a little bit, though. Well, that sounds that sounds like fun. Well, they they grow good, they grow wonderful grass, and they sure do raise pretty cows up there. But uh, you know, source of all the all the cheese and all the jokes about Wisconsinites. But uh, it sounds like a fun place to visit, and I think this is probably the ideal time to visit because they can apparently. Get a little hot and humid in the summer months and very, very cold in the winter. So you're probably there at the ideal season. And uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. One, one thing on the, front, on the home front that I will report with good news, and that is that uh, Semispore, or Nolo Bait, is back on the market now. It's totally oh, different right. packaging, but it's, it's exactly the same product. And uh, we got our first shipment of it in, and... Fortunately, uh, the grasshoppers are really just starting to show up. I have no idea what the, what it's going to be, what kind of year it's going to be for grasshoppers, but um, that bait is is still the best control we've ever seen. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Is so so discouraging early in the season when the family that had been making it said, "No, we're just old, retired. We're not going to do it anymore." But it's out there. It's uh, 
It's a really good product. They're still recommending keep it under refrigeration. Uh, still a relatively small package. It covers like probably an acre. So anybody looking at potential grasshopper problems uh, this year, the uh, Nolo tight bait. And I believe this is sold as Nolo. For a while, it was sold as Semispore or as Nolo. But I think people are going to find it under the name of uh, Nolo, N-O-L-O now. And um that's good, and that's simpler, and people can remember easier. Is it the same company? You know, I've got to research that. We just got ours like day before yesterday, just came in, and uh, I haven't had time to really go through and figure it all out. But it's that same, you know, kind of meal base, very lightweight. It's uh, pretty easy to spread. I, I wait for a breezy morning and pretty much stand out in the area and just kind of throw it up in the air. Uh, wherever we've seen the little small grasshoppers. And, of course, they find it, and grasshoppers being cannibalistic, they start eating each other, and you spread that bacteria, which is harmless to people and pets, uh, through the grasshopper population. And uh, that's the other thing I always have to caution people, too. The grasshoppers are not going to just fall over dead, but they're going to stop feeding, which is what you're trying to occur, you know, trying to achieve sure. anyway. Yeah. But uh, no, That's good news. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll uh, pass that on to everybody. One thing I almost forgot to tell you, it's a big deal, ran into here. We were walking uh, yesterday. We'd gone to Capitol, and we were walking back to look at another garden and get back to the hotel, and there was a young fella spraying a propane torch to kill weeds around the trees on the street. And I looked across the street, and there was another guy doing exactly the same thing. I walked up to him and, and asked him if that all they were doing and had they stopped using Roundup and he said yes they had completely uh, in the urban uh, landscape maintenance and also in all the parks Roundup is no longer used in Madison Wisconsin that's... So it's going to be interesting to uh, find out if that's the case here in Milwaukee and other places in the, in the state uh, or not the University of Wisconsin would Drove through, walked around a little bit, and it's big and beautiful, uh, too. Really uh, impressed. I've got a couple of golf buddies I actually went to school here, so I've heard uh-huh. about it in the past. First time I've seen it, though. It was really pretty. Well, that is that is certainly good news. I tell you what, I get so discouraged every time I walk by a Home Depot or anywhere else because, man, they're – they're sure out to sell every bit of Roundup they can around us. And fortunately, we get more and more people every day interested in using the alternative products that we talk about. And even the simple vinegar and orange oil, boy, people have just, I, I, it's so much fun talking to people that have been so successful. They, they think it's their mission to go out. Every one of them thinks they need to go out and tell at least 20 people about it. But it is, yeah, it's still, it is still really disturbing that. Um, so many people just ignore, uh, the fact there, there was an interesting article and I'm trying to remember where I read it, but, uh, they were talking about Roundup and saying the cancer causing ingredient, not the supposed or the alleged or anything else, but the, the agent that causes non-Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, is in Roundup and, um, so they're they're getting some pretty bad press, That's but right. I don't know whether people are just you know not reading or just stupid or just you know think it wouldn't be on the market if the government hadn't approved of it. But 
I just, I do not, I truly do not understand how much of it people use, but I watch people going out of the, out of the places like Home Depot with their baskets full of it. I'm glad to say I'm not seeing, I, I do more of my hardware and tool shopping since it's so far to find independent, uh, um, suppliers of such things. I do most of my shopping at Lowe's. I find their people are so much more helpful and I'm not seeing as much of it, but Boy, I think uh, Home Depot's middle name is Roundup this spring. Yeah, so far. But when things happen like what's happened here in in uh, Madison, maybe that'll spread to other places. Because even it, the biggest problem we've got is universities. You know, like yep. uh, some of the ones in Texas are still recommending it. And not only that, saying that all this news about it is you know fake news and there's nothing to it. And other uh, radio commentators and writers, and, and that gives people the, the the idea that we're just being, you know, hyperbolic and and don't know what we're talking about. So that that will change when entire cities uh, do without it and show people that you know it really can be done another way. Well, I I sure look forward to that day. You would think what thirteen thousand six hundred pending lawsuits and already over two billion dollars in claims awarded i just don't understand why that's not getting people's attention but anyway maybe it will one other thing i want to ask you about we're getting more and more reports from people and and i'm talking to dr kirby about this too that are saying most all of the veterinary products for controlling fleas on the animals just aren't working that well anymore revolution was doing a good job for a while the uh, Spinosad product, uh, Comfortus, was doing a good job for a while. Mm-hmm. But I'm having more and more people tell me this spring that they're just not working against the fleas. And uh, Roberta's found a couple of uh, um, natural-based soaps that she says are working extremely well. They're not, you know, very residual, and they're just a little bit more trouble to get out and actually wash the dog than to... Uh, uh, than to uh, than to just give them a pill. And by the way, I need to uh, first chance I get, I'll get her to take a picture of a uh, a a dog washing device, so to speak, something that uh, you secures the dog three ways. The dogs like it, and it makes it really really easy to bathe them. Even bigger dogs, even dogs that uh, tend to become a little hyperactive when you turn the hose on them, shall we say. But uh, look forward to sharing that with you as well, because uh, she says now it's possible for her to, you know, bathe her golden and to bathe bigger dogs with uh, without any problem whatsoever. So that's something worth sharing. But uh, just there's some natural products out there, and I know... Uh, Dr. Kirby is talking about uh, a couple of uh, new products out there, but I, I just wondered if you had heard from people that the the typical flea control products that we've we've used in the past just don't seem to be doing much. <clears throat> no, I haven't heard that at all. I hate to hear that. Doesn't surprise me. The fleas may be like mosquitoes, and they're in the process of adapting. Mm-hmm. You know, to uh, that's one of the problems in, in mosquito control. They keep getting used. They can change the, their their way their system works so mm-hmm. they're more tolerant they maybe the fleas are doing the same thing i hope not well at least in the landscape the nematodes are still controlling them really well you you, you can't control something that wants to parasitize you and destroy you that right. way but it's it's yeah, more right. more of the problem with the products on the pets and uh 
but it, you know it's it's tough and inside it gets even harder to control when you when you've got your pets once you get rid of them you know you're pretty much rid of them but uh we'll talk more about that and um and hear what other people may tell us and like say i'll get you a little bit more information on it because there are some good natural products out there to control the fleas but uh looks like it's gonna be a pretty bad summer for fleas around here at least Uh oh all right well everybody enjoy the weather while it's still relatively uh, cool and we will visit next week you enjoy your wedding up there this afternoon and uh take some more pictures we'll all be looking at dirtdoctor.com and listening uh looking for your next report howard so good to get talk to you this morning and uh give all the family a hug for me Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. See you next week. Thank you, Howard. We'll talk again. Bye. All right. Our friend Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor, uh, off in Wisconsin today. And uh, sounds like some very interesting travels up that way. Let's get started. Uh, Diane is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. My husband uh, sprayed the nematodes on the yard yesterday evening and then watered them in real good, the whole front and backyard. Perfect. But it says on the container to keep the yard watered for moist for five days. What kind of nematodes did your husband spray? Oh, my Lord. He bought them from sand and soil. Okay. Uh, was it a, was, were they on a little blue sponge? What kind of package were they in? No, no, no. They weren't in a little blue sponge. They were in a container and the medium that they were in looked like, I don't know, granulated paper or whatever. And you had to soak them for 30 minutes and then run them through a filter. Okay, that's that's not what we usually use and recommend. I'll have to check with Stone and Soil and see what they're using. The Here's the thing. The nematodes, um, once they are dispersed through the soil... Uh, they don't have to have any extra moisture. If there's enough moisture to keep the plants alive, there's enough to keep the nematodes alive. But when they are first put out, the soil's got to be pretty moist so that they can move and get around and find all of those things we want them to kill, like the fleas and the fire ants and that sort of thing. So uh, that's just a different brand that I am used to the ones we tell people to water thoroughly after you put them out and then that's all you really need to do these may be just in a little bit different life stage they may need to, may need to stay moist a little longer to get dispersed through the soil so uh all i can say is you know follow the directions on the package for best results hopefully it's a good blend that's the other thing i would like about the ones out of colorado springs are like seven different uh, strains of nematodes in there so they control a wide range of things. But uh, if stone and soil is selling them, they're, they're bound to be a good product. So I'll have to check into them a little bit further. But I'm sure that's what you're doing is just keeping the soil moist enough for them to move around. Doesn't mean you have to water your yard super thoroughly. Just need to keep that top level moist while the nematodes get spread out. Okay, let me ask you this. Is it going to hurt anything if I decide to go get the little blue sponge from you and reapply? It's not going to, no, there's no interaction, but uh, I'm not sure it's necessary, Diane. Give these things a chance and see how they do. And if they're not controlling what you want to, we we get two, three shipments of them a week. So it's not like we're going to run out. We'll be there for you when you want to. But I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that you need to. I just need to research a little bit further and find out what Jeff's got out there. 
Okay, well, it's in a it's in a plastic container, and it says live beneficial nematodes, uh, natural lawn and garden solutions. Okay, I, again, I'll have to check it out. That's just a brand I'm not familiar with. Okay, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Good day, and happy Father's Day. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we're going to wish all the dads, all the guys out there, a real happy Father's Day for tomorrow. Uh, Right now, let's talk to Jan. Good morning, Jan. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm calling for my mom. She has garlic in her yard. Okay. And she didn't plant it, but she shared it through the years. And so now some seems to be in the front yard. And she's worried about, is it going to be the same? Is it going to be safe? Um, it's, you know, she just, it probably is the same wild garlic. If it forms that pod, um, I, uh, the big old stem with a big old ball at the top. Yeah. That's probably what they call elephant garlic. Uh, the flowers are kind of whitish to light lavender and the stems maybe, Half an inch, three quarters of an inch in diameter and hollow. Yeah, and tall. Yeah, that that's that's almost tall. certainly a form of garlic. It sounds like the uh, elephant garlic, and uh, yes, it's uh, um, it is it is fairly prolific, shall we say? I had it in one part of my garden, and now it sprouts up pretty much all over the place. But it is very much edible, and uh, it's actually kind of pretty. You can even dry those flower spikes, but mine this year with all the rain is literally shoulder height, where normally it starts at about 18 to 24 inches. Yeah, she even had a neighbor. She lives in Bernie, and she had a neighbor stop in and tell her how beautiful that was on each side of her driveway. (laughs) (laughs) And she just took all the compliments and then said, wow, I wonder where that came from. Yeah. uh, yeah, well, she knows because she has it in the backyard around her, it just is around the pecan tree, mm-hmm. and now it seems to be in the front. She goes, well, I always share it with friends, but I want to make sure it's safe. It you should know, be. Yeah, it should okay. be fine. It's uh, like most things, It's uh, uh, if it's starting to flower, it's getting close to being ready to harvest. And, um, yes, it is starting to flower. Yeah. Yeah, so she's real close to being a bit. It'll be perfectly safe for her to uh, share with her friends and enjoy. It's one of the milder forms of garlic. There are like 60 or 80 different kinds of garlic out there, and uh, but this is a so-called elephant. Uh, see a lot of it grown out in California, and they actually take the, uh, the whole big pod and actually bake it sometimes. There are lots of different things to do with it that are all delicious, and it's a uh, very, very good for human health as well. So uh, tell her to enjoy and keep on sharing with her friends. If I wanted to plant some, what would be my best way? The cloves or? Yeah, with the cloves down at the base. Um, it makes okay. like a, a seed up on top. But if yeah. uh, after this seed head uh, flower spike, after it truly dries, uh, just dig up a little clump of it in an area. If you dig an area that's uh, 18 inches across, you're probably going to get 30, 40 little cloves that you can plant anywhere you like and get ready. You'll be you'll be sharing it with your entire circle of friends in the very near future as well. But that's not a bad thing. It's so easy to grow. It's so pretty. And yet it has uh, so many good health benefits as well. 
Yeah, so you're saying just dig up some soil after it dries around the plant? Yeah, well, you'll see. You'll actually see on the surface of the ground, you'll see little smooth green tops where this clove is underneath. It'll be pretty obvious, and you will have plenty to dig and enjoy. Oh, and I do have to tell you, I had called you back two months ago about the purple wisteria, which is not really a wisteria, but anyway, you said I had the seeds, and you said, well, plant them, but be patient. Uh-huh. Boy, you lying. One just came up the other day after two months. Well, yeah, the other one came up at about a month, month and a half. But the uh-huh. last one, I, I thought, oh, that one's not going to come up. And then two months later, bada boom, bada bean. You know, it's fortunate you're patient. <laughs> Only because you said to be. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wish everybody listened to me. I wish my animals listened to me that way. But, uh <laughs> Jan, you get out and enjoy this weekend, and uh, call me again whenever we help. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Bye. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a, I've built a bog in my backyard attached to one of my fish ponds. Very good. And I have an invasive grass in it. I did not realize it would be invasive when I put it in there. And I'm wondering if I can use vinegar oil, vinegar and orange oil on that invasive grass without affecting everything else I've got going. Is it a grass or is it a sedge? Or do you know? I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, it has a little bit of a head on it. Um, and and does it have a kind of a whitish head on it? Or what color is that seed head that develops? Uh, the whole plant itself is just a pale green, okay. a washed-out green. You know, I'm afraid it is probably a sedge rather than a grass, and the problem is you will burn it with the vinegar-orange oil mix, but it will just keep keep coming back again and again. How big is uh, this bog area that you've created? Oh, it's a uh, three-foot by three-foot. Okay, I'm afraid you're going to be much better off uh, uh, in just trying to pull it. Uh, you know, with with your moist soil, it's going to be relatively easy to get out at this point. It's going to take a lot of determination, but you sure don't want to let it go to seed because the sedges, once they start making seed and start sprouting all over the place, um, it's a real issue. But uh, um, the sedges just love the aquatic environment, and you can burn the top off of them, and they just keep coming back again and again. So uh, in this case, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to tell you you're going to be a lot more successful, you know, pulling it than, than uh, trying to spray it with anything. But a three-by-three-foot area, that's, that's a very manageable-sized area. Yeah, if I could just get in there because it's overgrown with everything else. Well, everywhere. Yeah. And well, that's and and the fault. thing about it, the more you know, the bigger your alocasias, your elephant ears, and things get, the more they're going to shade this grassy material out. But again, at the very least, I'd be watching it carefully. And any sign of a seed head develops, get it off, get it out of there, get it into the compost pile, get it away from uh, from your bog, or it's. Um, it, it, they just, you're, you're creating the absolute perfect condition for a lot of those sedges. And, uh, you just, you have to pull them out. You have to thin them out. And, and that goes for things like papyrus, which is a very attractive sedge and your cypyrus, uh, uh, these things are all beautiful, but 
they all have the potential for being weeds if they uh, if they get out of hand and and about all you can do is thin them out. That's why a lot of things that we grow as ornamentals uh, up north are actually banned. I'm thinking of lithrum. I'm thinking some of the really pretty flowering things that uh, that we enjoy growing. They if you don't control them, they will get away from you. And like the water hyacinths do. Okay. Thank you very much. I Sorry, I don't it. have an easier solution, but uh, glad you don't have three acres. <laughs> three, no. three by three is a lot easier. Elaine, I appreciate the call. Thank you. And let me get Paul in here. Hey, it's a good thing to end the show the day before Father's Day with a guy. Good morning, Paul. Morning. Um, I planted a, a five-gallon red oak tree last October. Okay. And uh, in the last three or four weeks, I've noticed a handful, maybe a dozen leaves or less, that are starting to turn brown from the tips downward, mm-hmm. generally maybe a third to a half of the, the leaf. Uh-huh. Do you think it's more likely I'm overwatering or Absolutely. Absolutely overwatering. Red oaks do not like excessive moisture, and Mother Nature has not made this as good a year for getting red oaks established because uh, if you look where red oaks grow in the hill country, it's high and dry, and uh, I'm only going to be watering that red oak when the soils dry a good two inches deep. I'm going to be, if I have a sprinkler system in that area, I'm going to be shutting down the heads closest to it because biggest enemy to the health of this young red oak is going to be staying too wet uh unless or until we get into really hot dry weather but yeah there there's no doubt the symptoms you're seeing are the result of too much moisture okay yeah I, that was what i was leaning towards uh being the cause of so i think i'll probably just have to uh dig down into the soil and see how wet it is or dry before i decide to start watering again that's that's the best thing and uh, uh as long as your soil drains well you know, I just can't emphasize enough that uh, there's no such thing as too much water, but there sure is as much, something as such as too often. So as we get into what are typically our drier, warmer months, remember when you water, it will be important to water thoroughly, but then don't water again until that soil's good and dry a good couple of inches deep. That That's the main thing that kills red oaks is too much moisture. Okay. And, uh, one other thing, I know I only got about a minute left or so, but Two I've, minutes. I've been trying to, to I've tried the vinegar orange oil, um, and it's it doesn't work on probably half the stuff I put it on. Mainly the grassy weeds, it doesn't do much to them. And even uh, back in January when the grass was dead, we had all those broadleaf weeds. Mm-hmm. It would kill those pretty much right away, but half of them would just start growing right back up. What what strength the, what strength vinegar are you using? I'm using nine percent. Yeah. On some of this stuff, you may need to go to the 20%. It's more expensive, but it is definitely uh, more effective at killing, especially grassy weeds are the hardest ones. Now, some of them like Johnson grass and Bermuda grass, you know, it's going to take more than one application. But uh, um, at some point, uh, get a gallon of 20%, use them side by side and see if that's not the problem. I think you've just got some weeds that are a little bit tougher than the then the nine percent can handle. It's in this case, uh, you can't use a twenty-two. You got to use a forty-four mag. Where do you get the? Uh, what's the easiest place to get twenty percent? You know, you'll find most all your feed you know. feed stores have it. Uh, most of the better nurseries have it. Um, mm-hmm. The people that uh, put it out are now actually putting it in two and a half gallon jugs as well as one gallon jugs, and it's slightly cheaper that way. But uh, 
Um, I, I recommend not trying to store it for a long period of time. So just kind of have to see what your needs are. But I think all the good nurseries carry it. I, I can't tell you how many cases a week we go through. And it, it's definitely more expensive than the 9%, but it does the job sometimes when the 9% doesn't. Yeah, okay. All right, well, last comment I'll make is that I think that's the biggest uh, problem getting people off of Roundup is it's so much more expensive for yep. any other uh, Yep, and a little bit slower to go. 